0: That time of the week again, it's flat out RC time. That's the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sewell, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. And I'll tell you what, it's a wet Melbourne, Australia, at the moment. Uh, I'll talk a, bit, a bit, bit more about that shortly. But uh, this week's guest, we have a doozy. We're back talking a bit of pattern flying. With a guy by the name of Jason Arnold. Uh, A good one to listen to if you're into pattern flying, but an interesting story. Everybody has a story to tell, no matter who they are. So uh, stay tuned for my chat with Jason coming up very shortly. But before we do, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. So what has been on my mind? A lot has been on my mind. We've had pretty wet weather down here in Victoria. um, And of course, that means a lot of different things besides a lot of pain and heartache for a lot of people in those flood-affected areas. But some bad news, uh, and then some good news. Bad news is the Bairnsdale Warbird event that is coming up, that was supposed to be happening this coming weekend, has been postponed. It has been postponed due to a terrible weather forecast. We keep on getting these terrible weather forecasts. There's a lot of, a lot of rain happening. Um, and I'm just trying to find the flyer. It's on my phone somewhere. Um, I know I've got it. But anyway, it's been, it has been postponed uh, due to the weather. Um, it is going to be rescheduled, though. Uh, it's being rescheduled to the... 12th oh here it is new date 12th and 13th of November so not this weekend not the weekend after the weekend after that the Warbirds over Bansdale event is the November the 12th and 13th the field will be open from the Friday to the Monday if you want to get there earlier and stay a bit longer uh, the usual stuff um, you know you can camp at the field $10 per night toilets not showers are there uh, barbecue facilities, fire pit, all that kind of stuff. There'll be food catering um, during the event as well. Uh, it's a two-day event, 12th and 13th. Bring a warbird. Uh, entry is twenty-five dollars per pilot. Uh, there's a few prizes now. Tony Wilson rang me and he said you got to make sure that people know about the prizes and those prizes are uh include a, a zero plane. I think it's It's a seagull or a phoenix model, kindly donated by um. Uh, model flight, uh, and I think that also includes servos for that. Um, Osdars uh, have donated some big, large scale props, uh, and uh, Boomer RC, some vouchers from Boomer RC as well. So you'll be able to buy raffle tickets on the day, which would be awesome. Uh, but yeah. Postpone. So if you're planning on going to Sale this weekend, which is a long weekend for we people down in Victoria generally because we've got the Melbourne Cup horse race, the race that stops the nation happening next Tuesday. Yes, people from overseas, we have a public holiday because of a horse race. Uh, so anyway, 12th and 13th of November. I'm probably going to be there. I, I wasn't able to make it if it was this weekend, but hopefully, all weather permitting, 12th and 13th, I might actually head on down, which would be good. And I might see if I can borrow someone's Warbird because I don't actually have a Warbird. Uh, yeah, no, I don't have a Warbird. But anyway, not that it would matter because they're not going to tell you to go home. But bring your Warbirds um, open to any military aircraft, irrespective of vintage power source, country or use. So if you own an F-16 jet or an EDF or jet or something like that, bring it along. So don't forget, twelfth and thirteenth at the Bensdale Club down here in Victoria. Get onto the Google machine and type in Bensdale District Model Aero Club, and it will show up on the Google Maps. So you know how to get there. It's about a three-hour drive from Melbourne. So anyway, at least from where I am. Okay, uh, what has been on my mind? Well, speaking of bad weather, my local club was was flooded once again, um, and it's generally the poor club is in It's in a. It's in a bit of a flood zone but it's a flood zone because melbourne water aren't maintaining the creek properly that they're supposed to the drainage from some of the other surrounding areas is, is just clogged, clogged up and the farmland and the flying field get flooded and it got flooded once again and and the, the downside of that besides the inability to go flying for a little while is that there's a mess to clean up and there's other clubs around australia and up in queensland new south wales that have been subjected to flooding and uh, it's times like these where we need the members to to, to chip in and help out, uh, and I know you know all of us don't have a lot of spare time, but we can all help in some way, shape or form. Uh, you know, working bees or you know, use your skill set. So, for example, I have a lot of trouble in trying to help out physically at the field when they on the certain days that they want. Because I've just got so many other commitments and that kind of thing. It's just the stage of life that I'm in. But if they ask me to design a flyer for their event, not a problem. That's how I can contribute. And everybody's got their own way of doing that. Uh, Just help out if you can. Let's get these clubs that have gone through some hard times back on track because we always get through these bad times. So our thoughts go out to anybody that's been... Affected by the floods that have been in Victoria, it looks like more rain is coming. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these areas flood again um, the way things are. I've got my fingers crossed and hope they're not. But I have been keeping a track on Facebook or some of my modelling flan- friends that have been out there and up in Rochester down here helping out. So Mad Mel, uh, well done. Um, hel- helping out with people up in that way. Um, awesome effort to, to just help out when you can. So be mindful of that help your local club in their time of need. They need you. It's our club, it's not just one person's club. So help out when you can. It's guest time and uh, we are back talking um, Patton. We've got a Patton sort of flying guest on. His name is Jason Arnold. Jason and I uh, communicated for a while to try to tee this up. He's a busy man because he's president of the um, of the of the F3A Patent Association here in uh in Australia. So he's busy doing that, but he also has a business as well that involved with um, um supplying parts to the 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 patent flying community, not only here in Australia but around the world. So as always, we'll we'll talk about uh, Jason's history in the hobby and and all the way through to his current day activities. So. Another great guest. I love all my guests. I really enjoyed talking to them and I, I honestly mean that. Uh, I was a little bit tired before this I, I had the interview with Jason, but nothing like getting on a call and talking and having a chat about error modeling to to brighten your day. And that's what it did for me. So over to you. Let's go and brighten your day. My chat with Jason Arnold. We're back talking pattern aerobatics with my guest today, Jason Arnold, all the way from up near the Blue Mountains, you tell me, Jason.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, in a place called Vale, where most people say,
0: what? <laughs> vale. Yeah. So, so uh, give us a proximity to Sydney, CBD. How far? Uh,
1: we're about 60 kilometres northwest of the CBD of Sydney. Um, if you know Richmond at all, yeah, uh, we're just up across the river and up the hill from there.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you were telling me just before that, uh, you know, we've had plenty of water down this Eastern seaboard, haven't we of Australia and uh, a bit of flooding going on in my home state of Victoria, but, uh, in new South Wales, you're saying how, uh, that Hawkesbury river gets up, uh, cuts you off.
1: Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, we've, we've been, uh, they didn't close the, the bridge, uh, last weekend. It was very close to it. Um, we had to go to uh, one of my daughter's presentations and as we're driving across the bridge, the water was almost to the point of lapping over the road.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy times, isn't it? One minute we've got drought, the next minute we've got fire, and then we've got flood.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh look, we've had it all. And like my, my home club is um, Pitt Town and it's on the lowlands area where all the turf farms are and of course it's a bit of a floodplain.
0: yeah uh,
1: i think it went under again uh last week and that's the fourth time this year
0: oh gee see my club packingham was uh, was flooded that we were about oh a foot underwater I reckon the whole field. Uh, and I did send. I, I'm that kind of guy, Jason. Jason, that sort of antagonises the maintenance guys. <laughs> I, I know one of the the guy that heads up really well, and and we always have a joke. And I sent him a message and with a photo. If we got got webcams at the field, so I took a screenshot of the webcam. And I sent him a message saying, I reckon we should build a pier at the club so that we can go fishing off the end of it because it's that that deep. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, um, these are the things that we need to deal with now. Were you originally from Victoria? No, no. Okay, so tell me about your 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 starts in the hobby, and then I'll put some context to where you are, because I thought you were from Victoria
1: originally. No, no, not at all. No, I originally grew up um, up near Hornsby.
0: Oh, uh, I know Hornsby because there's a hobby shop in Hornsby. There was yes. Hornsby Hobby, was it?
1: Uh, Something like it that. Used to be used to be micro models. Yeah. Yep. And years ago. Um, and that's that's probably, I think that's where I bought my first kits from, the old Aeroflight kits. Um, and uh, geez, how old was I then? Geez, I would have been probably about 10 years old, I think.
0: So, how did you find out about the hobby?
1: Um, well, my, my father. He was he was into control line when he was a kid, and I think someone at his work um, was into gliders, and he managed to get a a photocopy of uh, the plans. I think it was a Super Trident. It was an Aeroflight design. Oh yeah, 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 I remember that. And rather than rather than building a kit, he decided to scratch build it. And I guess that sort of that process sort of got me involved with it a bit. But um, and it was RC, of course. But dad never, ever got it to the point of flying the thing. Um, And, you know, I never really flew until um, I was probably about 15 or 16, to be honest. And, like, we, we went through, my, my parents split up and, and we've all moved all over the place, as you do. And um, it just so happens that down two doors down the road from where I was living at um, Greystains um, was a gentleman by the name of Bruce Townsend. And um, he was into scale models and he also had a love affair with the... Uh, the Bridey Chaos. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Chaos. They come yes. out with a lot of variants. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he lived on the house on the corner, and I introduced myself, and he sort of took me under his wing, and um, we built a couple of um, Aeroflight Invaders, which is a really really old design. It was it was designed when. They had the old, um, escapement, um, actuators for the control surfaces. So, um, yeah, he took me through that process, the building process and, and then, um, proceeded to teach me how to fly. So really that's probably when the real flying of error modeling started for me. Were you flying at a club
0: or, you know, where, where were you actually flying?
1: Yeah, um, so Bruce was a member of uh, Cumberland RC Modellers and they originated um, somewhere, I think it was somewhere near Eastern Creek, but then like so many clubs, they got the bums rush and had to move and they ended up at St Gregory's College at Norellan And um, so anyway... He introduced me to the club, and I joined up. And um, he proceeded to teach me how to fly. Uh, mode two, of course. Mode uh, champions. Yeah. That's what I say. Just, well, just about everyone in that club was mode two. I think there was two, maybe three people that were mode one.
0: I uh, see. It's, it's a bread like that isn't it you join a club and like when i first joined a the club they said what mode you fly i said i oh, mode two and they go oh well i don't know whether we can teach you here we all fly mode one and so in some you know depending on your local club if they if that's the only choice but fortunately that he said oh there's one other member that will that could teach you dave and i went okay yeah dave taught me he's a good bloke
1: yeah yeah uh bruce was bruce was was great as well, you know. He he, he was renowned for doing inverted low passes through the pits. (laughs) That's that's perfect.
0: Great. Were were, were were there people watching or (laughs) what was going
1: on? Oh, you know, people were ducking. (laughs) So, oh, no, it was, I sort of look back, on my time with the club there, and some of the things that we did, um, the MAAA would have kittens, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like safety wise,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've all we've all seen that, you know. I love it when I was a member of a club, and uh, they um, they said, oh, you know, no flying over the pits and all that kind of stuff. And then I'm there one Saturday. It was pretty quiet, and there's a couple of committee yeah. members, and and they're they're uh, landing their gliders in the pits. I'm thinking, yeah. This club's doing well. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. So it's it sounds like uh, Bruce really was a big mentor for you, and probably without him, you may not be not may not have been in the hobby.
1: Um, look, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, th- I think he took like I, at the time I was I was only about fifteen or sixteen years old, and you know I'd probably do the same thing now. Like I'm I'm fifty two now. Um, if a young bloke propped up on my doorstep and showed interest, then, then of course, I'd do what I could to encourage him to um, or her to get into it.
0: Yeah, I think that's because
1: important. It is important because it's um, there's too many competing interests. There's too many options for people to do different stuff.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, and there's also, I think, options... Um easier options that are than, than aero modeling because of the expense, the time, the travel required and all that kind of stuff. So namely sitting on a computer and playing games with your mates so online is the biggest, yeah. biggest challenge. But, um, okay. So to, you got past sort of the learning phase, then what pathway did you sort of take in the hobby? You know, cause I always, always find that most people start out sort of, you know, with say a trainer or something like that. And then they go down you know scale aerobatics gliders or whatever which which way did
1: you go um well I built myself a hustler and pre- proceed an overpowered hustler and proceeded to fly the wings off that um you know doing doing all sorts of maneuvers with it and um and then eventually uh, got myself a stylus which is one of um chris white's designs it used it used to be manufactured by les Um and that had a a um, hano special in it i don't
0: know if you've oh, heard yeah, of that. Yep, yep. it
1: yep 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 so um yeah it, it went like a rocket and um i had a dead stick one day and proceeded to Strain it, try to get back to the field and strained it through a barbed wire fence, <laughs> which was rather unfortunate.
0: Yeah, it's not the kind of fence you really want to hit.
1: No, no. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think from the... I used to always love reading the the pattern articles in, uh, I think it was Airborne, not sure it was Airborne or RC Model News. One or the other used to have a regular uh, pattern segment in there. And I don't know, just the, the technology and the models, the look of the models, they just look like a Formula One of, of error modelling. Uh, yeah, it just sparked my interest. And um, some years some years later, uh, I managed to buy myself a OS one hundred and forty RX. I didn't have a model for it, and uh, dropped into uh, Dave McFarland's shop down there, or well, it used to be a Fairy Meadow, they're now Dapto, um, and he had a uh, a pinnacle hanging up in the roof. So they have models hanging from the roof, and uh, it was a second hand model. It was originally owned by Alfred Pye. The name that name rings a bell for you.
0: No, not for me. May for right. others.
1: Okay. Unfortunately Alfred um, has departed us. He had a, an accident. But um anyway that was that was one of his models I think prior to him going to one of the world championships for F3A. Oh yeah. And um, it's funny, Dave Mac I wouldn't let me leave the shop unless I promised to go to one of the um one of the patent events.
0: Ah, that's a good move.
1: You know, he he, he kept saying, It'll make you a better fly, it'll make you a better fly and he's a hundred percent right. Oh yeah, he's right. Yep, definitely right. You know, it, it it's something that I don't know, people might look at it and think it's like watching paint dry or watching grass grow, but um it's a discipline you're putting the model where it's meant to be and you're drawing shapes in in the sky the way the shape is meant to be um it's it's just a discipline and and maybe that turns some people off because it's so hard but uh to me that's a challenge and uh and it's like it's like playing golf. You're always trying to get that better score.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think the the people that are wired that way that you know like that challenge and I'm that I'm that way wired. I like flying aerobatics for that that reason exactly. Is that you? Every flight you're aiming for something, not just flying circuits at three hundred feet, left hand circuits, and then have a landing when the fuel gets low. It's for me, it's okay, let's see if I can fly that sequence as best as I can, even if I'm not being judged, which I'm not being judged, but I'm judging it myself. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, definitely. I will, you know what? The, the evidence is there. We, you know, every really good pilot ha- that I've ever met has either flown Patton or IMAC, one of those kind of disciplines. and have thrown yeah. in a bit of scale as well. The guys that compete at, compete at scale level, uh, you yeah. know, they're, they've all they've all gone through that discipline of flying, you know, set sequences, aerobatic sequences.
1: Yeah. Well, look, we've had in pattern, we've had um, some of the scale guys come through and fly with us and uh, do quite well. And their main motivation was to um, improve their flying and their flight scores as part of their scale. So, um, they could obviously see the benefits. Um, we've also had people come and have a look at how the events run, because um, from what from what I understand, the scale of events are a little bit um, different. Let's just say <laughs> in how, how it's organised and when things happen and that sort of thing. Mm.
0: Well, so so you get this plane. Did you end up mm-hmm. going to a patent event straight away?
1: I did. I did. Um, so. The first time I flew it uh, was out at one of the, the club's not there anymore, but it used to be Hawkesbury Model they uh, are on the the University of Western Sydney grounds, the Hawkesbury Campus. Um, flew it there, the the very first flight and first landing. the 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 runway was smooth but a little bit undulating. Anyway, I, I touched down and it. Uh, the model dropped into one of the dips and then it proceeded to to um, tear the undercarriage out. Oh,
0: so, perfect.
1: So it wasn't a good first flight. But um, anyway, that happens. But uh, we repaired that. And the first, my first, very first pattern event was in 2007 down at Queanbeyan. And... Um, yeah, we froze our butts off down there. Because, no, I was um, going
0: to say every time I hear the name Queenbury and I think, gee, it's cold down there. <laughs>
1: it is. It is. Um, oh, I think not the first event that I went there, but one of the subsequent events. Um, there was there was icicles hanging off the barbed wire fence around <laughs> the place. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was just oh, I don't know what temperature it was. It was bloody gold.
0: So you took it took a while getting into pattern. Then, if your first event was two thousand and seven,
1: I did. Yes, um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, like I, I I raced RC cars for many years, and that was sort of my competitive outlet, if you like. And the model airplanes was my relaxing time. <laughs> Um, but then, then I got out of the RC cars and, and, um, Dave, Dave Macker's influence got me involved in competitive, um, precision aerobatics and been in it ever since.
0: Well, you have been. So it is really the main thing that you do now when you fly, is it?
1: It is. That's, that's the only thing. Um, I actually went through a. A phase where um, I decided, right, I'm going to do this, do, do this fan income, and um, got rid of all the other distractions because I just wanted to focus on aerobatics, and that was it. So basically, at the moment, I've just got the one model, and that's it. And it's a, and it's an F3A model.
0: One model. One model. You are the first guest that owns one model. One
1: model, there you go.
0: No other planes, no foamies <laughs> or anything like that?
1: No. One model. No. I did have all that stuff. Um not so much foamies, but uh like F five J gliders and, and um uh I had an extreme flight yak. Um but yeah, all that stuff. No, it's all gone. I'm just gonna focus on precision aerobatics.
0: Now is life easier with just owning one model?
1: I think so. Yeah, <laughs>
0: less maintenance. It's
1: <laughs> well with 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 electrics. Um, there's very little maintenance, and uh, like that's that's the biggest thing with with electric power and pattern. As soon as you as soon as you switch to electric, then you wonder, well, what am I going to do with my time? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> before you would have spent heaps of time changing out servos or linkages or, you know, doing something because the the, the big thing shaping up the front, shaking the model to pieces. And, yeah, electric, you just don't have that. Yeah.
0: I just noticed that you're the president of the uh, Australian Precision Aerobatics uh, organisation,
1: aren't you? That's correct. I didn't step back fast enough.
0: It's a bit like that sometimes, <laughs> isn't it?
1: Uh, it's, it's good it's good um we've, we've um i think i took over from russell edwards okay
0: yeah
1: now that would have been probably about 2016 or 17 somewhere around there
0: and it's begun well hasn't it you know i know down here in victoria i am we've got a, a pretty avid bunch of um of patent pilots how how's it faring in other states
1: uh, it's a bit, it's a bit variable. Um, I think Queensland's probably doing the best at the moment, um, but you know, probably three to four years ago they were on struggle street. Mm. So I think it, I think it has its ups and downs. You know, like the the, the traditional traditional home for F three A, for want of a better expression is probably victoria you know that's where the apa was first incorporated um but you know you, you look at the numbers that are going to contests and 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 they're struggling a little bit
0: we had a few drop off people that i know that had dropped off you know from the victorian scene i think one of the biggest challenges with patton is like you've done is you've got to really narrow in and focus on on just that there's a big commitment just to to flying pattern if you really want to progress and i think it yes. can burn some people out that intensity
1: yeah look I, I don't think i've ever got to the point where i'm like burn out from it i just i enjoy it but um i just found all the other stuff just too distracting like i'd love to i'd love to have a another f5j glider i love to love to have a big scale aerobatic model but you know it just gets it's not that i can't afford to do that it's just it's another distraction that's all
0: i'm falling in love with the idea of owning one plane though is you because when you think about it (laughs) gee life you know what plane am i going to take out to the field today well (laughs) it's the one that i've got (laughs) that's right maybe i need to do that then i won't need to have a trailer and as my wife says, all oh, that junk that you're never ever going to use again that's sitting in the garage, I could get rid of yeah. all that. Oh, just one pattern plane. I do love the look of a pattern plane.
1: Well, see, that's that's the thing. I had all that, and um, I said, no, I'm not going to use it. Let's get rid of it.
0: Well, makes a lot of sense. Like I, I, I have a go. at A lot of people that own. I know some people that own heaps of planes, and I always on their back going, why? you know and even then it's just not when you own a lot of planes you got to put them somewhere and so that means your investment in your hobby is not just the models it's the sheds that you need to build to store everything and just everything that goes with it you know bigger trailers because now we've got bigger models it's just it amazes me how much people spend they could could own ferraris or something like that you didn't get into cars did you when you turned 18 uh no no no. Oh, so you're um, bucking the trend there. I always call it wine, women, and song got in the way. But um, so you've been flying sort of consistently from the start then.
1: Basically, yeah, yeah. Like when I've I've, I've had plenty of cars, but um, yeah, nothing, nothing silly.
0: Yeah, not spending all your life savings on cars like these uh, young kids do. <laughs>
1: uh, nah. No, 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 never did that. So I think if I had any advice to a, a young kid these, these days is, is to save as much as you can and get yourself into some real estate as soon as you can.
0: Well, it's it's a good point because, and especially nowadays with costs going up, it's going to be a lot harder. But uh, I don't know. They, they do get paid more though, these graduates and stuff like that. When they get a job, gee, they're a good money. And they don't know anything and they get paid well. It's amazing. Good place to live in Australia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So, uh, 2007 onwards, you've been pretty hardcore. What, uh, what, what category are you competing at now?
1: Um, in F3A. Oh, so you got uh, to the top. Yeah. So the, the, the top rank here in Australia, I'll call it a rank because it's not a class is masters. So, um, when I was when I was flying a lot more than I do now, um, I managed to get uh, my master's rank, um, but I've since lost that. So, and that's just a, a simple fact of not practicing enough and not putting basically not putting enough effort in
0: to go and fly at the world champs. Do you have to be mm. masters, or
1: no, no, you don't. Um, so you've just got to go in the team trials for the event and basically get get in the top 3 positions
0: yeah okay
1: so we recently concluded uh like in 2023 we've got the world championships here in in new south wales and we recently completed our team trial at casino which is is um, the proposed venue for the event?
0: Yeah. Now tell us a bit about the World Champs. Uh, who's organising it?
1: Uh, well, we the APA is organising it. We've um, we've got a subcommittee, and uh, a gentleman by the name of Simon Atkinson is chairing that subcommittee. And um, but it all comes under the under the APA umbrella, and. Our friends at the NAAA underwriting the event. Uh, the last time we had a World Championships here was for F3A was uh, 1991, and that was at Wangaratta.
0: Yeah.
1: And I believe that was three different disciplines. I think it was um, F3A, F3D, and I forget what the helicopter one is. I think it was helicopters as well.
0: Yeah, if if something. Yeah, <laughs> can't remember exactly, but I, I it does ring a bell. Okay, so how much work's involved in that? Like, how far ahead are you? Are you planning?
1: Um, look, the planning's fairly advanced. Um, the event that we had there, we, we had a, had a like a a test event there in um, early September. And that was the the Australian Masters and World Cup. And it also was the trans-Tasman event and the final leg of our uh, World Championships team trial. So <laughs> it carried a lot of names. <laughs> um, so, but the reason that we held it at Casino, the, the proposed venue, was to one, test out the venue itself. And also the the surrounding area, um, and just just to make sure everything was going to be suitable for the for the world championships. And how's that looking? It's looking good. Yeah, looking good. It didn't flood while we we're up there.
0: Yeah, because I um, had they had a bit of rain earlier on in the year that flooded the area. But um, how many flight lines can you run there?
1: We can run two flight lines. Um, it's a full size runway and the flight lines were about 700 to 800 meters apart. So there's no, no possibility of a, of a, um, a midair at all. Cause there's just so much separation between the two flight lines.
0: Okay. I just, it sounds like a lot of work to me when I think about, yeah. You know, it's cause how many, how many, how many competitors would be at that event?
1: Uh, look, we're thinking that it probably gonna be around 80, 80 competitors. Um, and that's that's from yeah, from obviously from all around the world. So a lot of countries are uh, doing their team trials or have already completed their team trials. So I think uh, the Americans recently completed theirs at their nationals. And the, the national the American Nationals is the the big um premier. F3A event so um, where it's a bit different here, the Nationals sort of doesn't really I don't know it doesn't really rate it anymore for Mm. some reason
0: Okay, so uh, have you got plenty of helpers?
1: Definitely going to need helpers
0: Um, Come on Patton community, we need you there
1: (laughs) Yeah, look I don't think there'll be any shortage of people um to help us out um, we've also got uh, uh, the the international judges that will be coming in to do the event and, that, and that's one of the that's one of the big things with with um the F3A world championships is is the judging so the judges come from all the different countries around the world um we'll, we'll probably have one judge. Um, representing Australia, um, so yeah, that's all. That's all part of it. And those judges are each country appoints their own judge, and that but basically, um, the organizer would um, make a selection of the judges they want to attend the event. And then the the higher the number of entries that has ramifications on how many judges you need to um, bring out for the event. So if we're around 80, I believe that uh, there, there's 10 judges required. But if you were, say, say if you were 90 or 100, I think then, then it jumps up to 20 judges. Yeah, okay.
0: Has the Australian team been selected? It has. Do you know it who's has. in it? Let's announce the team.
1: Yeah, look, we it's it's something that we need to get on to. Um everyone like everyone within the patent community knows who the who the team is. Um but basically we've got uh Aaron Aaron Garth. You probably know Aaron. Of course, yes. Yeah. Um we've got John Tonks. Yeah, I haven't we've heard of John got...
0: Tonks' name. Where's he come out of?
1: He's uh, from South Australia. Oh, good job. Um we've got Peter Panisi.
0: Yeah, well known name. He's
1: in Queensland. He's he's the um, APA vice president as well. Um and our reserve pilot is um Shane Lysart. Okay. And our junior pilot. Is um, Mac Dodd
0: now the junior category? How many how many pilots are expected to come out in that category?
1: Oh, I'm I'm not sure to be honest. Mm. I, I think um, I think most countries I think you're allowed to submit one pilot for the, for the juniors, mm. um, but I don't know that all countries would be submitting a junior. Yeah
0: long way for people to come from uh, from overseas but you know it's our turn not to have to travel across the across the world to get to a world champs i say so that's that's going to be a good event And that was postponed when was it supposed to be run
1: uh well look what it was meant to be there was meant to be a world championships in 2021 and that was meant to be in um the USA but the the whole covid thing Happened and basically put an end to it. Um, so 2021 was effectively cancelled, and 2023 that we put in a bid for that and um, it was successful.
0: Okay, well, there's another thing I want to have a chat with you about, and that is you did the crazy thing and started a business around pattern flying as well as called Precision Aero Products.
1: That's correct, yes. Is
0: that is that your main business or are you doing that on the side kind of thing?
1: Uh, originally it was on the side. Um, I started the company in 2014, late 2014, and um, that was the, the, the instigating factor for that was um, a gentleman by the name of Brian Hebert in America um, wanted me to, Uh, distribute his models here in Australia. So, anyway, I spoke to my accountant and set up a small company and started, that's where it all started from. Um, And we've grown grown ever since. And at that time it was a side hustle. Uh, It was a side hustle until about 2017, I think. and that was, that was when, unfortunately, I lost my father to cancer. And it, you get to a point in life, I guess most of us do, and, and yes, you, you start to reassess things and wonder what's important. And, you know, I was working uh, as a support come project manager at a company and uh, traveling anything up to four hours a day That's to and weird. from there. And you just sort of think, well, okay, what else could I be doing with my time? <laughs> and uh, had a bit of a yak to my account again. And, and, you know, I was coming up for my 10 years long service. And he said, he said to me, yep, why not? Take your long service uh, because that was beneficial tax-wise and um and if everything if you like it then hand in your notice and i did exactly that and i've been doing i've been doing um doing precision aero products ever since
0: okay so tell us it's a it's a pattern specific business isn't
1: it it is but i carry i've got a number of agencies and i carry different products for different facets of the hobby. Um, But primarily it's F3A and I'm selling stuff all around the world, uh, manufacturing a lot of stuff. So um, uh, prior to prior to my daughter being born, I got it in my head that I wanted to make a CNC router.
0: (laughs) <laughs> you're one of those
1: yeah i'm one of those <laughs> have, you got a three, have you
0: got a 3d printer as well
1: i've recently got a 3d printer yes oh
0: see so yeah, you're one of those as well this is that kind of person that gets the 3d printer actually i need i need something 3d printed there's a there's a there's a young uh young friend of mine a friend of our families and um and he's a real tinkerer and He's got into, he got a 3D printer and he's now got a CNC machine and he's 15. There's no hope for yeah. him now. And, and and he's trying to, anytime, you know, his parents need something, he goes, wait a second, I think I can print that. And he's, you know, they got it. He built a dog cage and all the hinges and stuff are 3D printed. I said to him, why'd you do that? Because I've got 3D printer now. Yeah,
1: why not? Yeah. So- oh, look I tell you the um, the CNC router. Look, it took me a, a number of years to finish it. It was one of those ones where you you buy a plan, and there's people that make all electronics kits for it and various bits of hardware that you need for it. Um, but it, it's not a small thing. It's like it's got a four foot by four foot working area, and it's got a three horsepower spindle on it water cooled spindle um but i tell you it's the best thing that i ever did you know it's it's more than paid for itself what are you
0: making with it
1: uh anything um that's generic
0: uh, give me on specifics like i'm always fascinated it's like with 3d printers what are you making
1: (laughs) yeah look so um one of the products that i manufacture is the um precision f3a drive which is basically a um it's using a helicopter an ego drift helicopter motor and it's got a belt reduction system in it so i manufacture that and uh, the carbon carbon plates that are used in that so that all gets cut on the cnc router Um, the other bits and pieces um i've also got another cnc machine it's a CNC vertical mill and that's a that's a four axis thing so
0: what does that do
1: well that that um, machine's aluminum steel brass whatever it's okay. it's uh, that's cool so it's a bit it, it's a bit more high end than than the CNC router and certainly ri- very rigid um so with that I'm able to make the um the pulleys that I use on, on the drives and uh, some of the other parts that are on the drives and manufacturing that on a, on a manual lathe.
0: Yeah, okay. So So now I can see why you're selling things worldwide because you're really, you know, fabricating specific parts for pattern models.
1: Definitely, yeah. If someone's got something specific they want, send me a sketch. I'll draw it up in fusion and cut it no problem at all
0: and what do you mean so you it looks like you're mainly doing a lot of stuff in carbon is that correct
1: uh carbon plywood delrin aluminum i'm even anodizing the parts that i make <laughs>
0: gee you're gone full on into this <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a classic
1: oh. yeah look it's it's a bit of a special what i do is a bit of a special business um, when when I first decided to, um, or when I decided to take my long service leave, it was virtually the minute that I decided that, people said, oh, you can build a model for me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it sort of, it wasn't what I was intending to do with the business, but um, for probably two or three years, a lot of what I was doing was building models for people. and manufacturing all the parts that go into it so like previously um, if, if you look at perhaps your own situation you might need a former f- for in the model or some apart from the model you'd make it you'd, you'd draw it out trace it out on the part and cut it with a dremel and file it out to size and this sort of thing um, whereas now what I would do is draw it up in fusion, Make make a prototype part. Yep, that's good. Make any adjustments that need to be made. And then I've got that part for future models. If someone else wants one, I can supply it. It's just a matter of loading the material in the machine and cutting it. So, yeah, there's been a fair bit of that. Once, you, once you've got the part designed and proven, it's very easy to make make more of them.
0: That is true. Okay, so I'm I'm looking at your website now, which is, can be found for anybody. Here's a free plug. Precisionaeroproducts.com.au is the place to go. You've got lots of different uh, models available. So are you are you importing a lot of these models into Australia? You know, the the BJ aircraft and things like that.
1: That's correct. Um, predominantly I'm I'm focusing on CK Aero which is Brian Hebert's designs um, and CA model these days. Um, I'm also a Huey Yang dealer and BJ Craft dealer. And also um, uh, Robin Trump from Germany, um, he put out a model called the Karat. So um, it's a little bit of an older design now, but it's still, still relevant. And that's um, designed contra only.
0: Okay, now I'm going to ask you about contra, but just to finish up on the airframes, there is there are multiple different brands. But okay, we've got biplanes and monoplanes, of course. But yeah, they seem the models seem to be very similar to each other nowadays. The, you know, um, do you see large differences between the different airframes? the way that they fly uh
1: yes yes uh, the the main thing that i would say with an airframe if you're considering to buy a new airframe is to look at the designer okay it's very important that that, that there's a a reputable designer behind it um, i can't stress that enough because they've, they've invested the time in, in the design, developed the design and, and, and done lots of testing on the design to prove it to the point where it's a releasable product. You know, whereas there, there are a number of designs out there that really shouldn't have been released. Yeah. And even stuff from from um, top manufacturers in, in the world, top brands in the world. You'd be surprised.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, when we see um you know the price of some of these models, people say, Well, how's it get so expensive? And I think people forget that the time needed to develop the product, not not just develop it, there's designing and developing and then working out how you're gonna build it. You know, there's yeah, there's a lot of intricacies involved. And that takes time. And when someone says to me, "Oh, you know, oh that extreme flight plane costs a lot," I said, "Yep, because uh, do you know how much time they spent to try to get it to work? <laughs> like, it's 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 a lot of effort, you know, to to have that skill to be able to do that." So uh, sometimes you get what you pay for, really.
1: Oh, definitely. With with F three A, that's definitely the case. Um, one thing I would say with current pricing though is that. Freight is really having a big impact. Yeah, it is. Um, freight has just gone absolutely stupid since COVID. And I think it's just a, it's, I think now it's simply a case of the freight companies making hay while the sun shines. So, um, yeah, it's gone ridiculous. So, like to, to get a, um, for instance, to get a, a CK Aero model from Thailand to Australia, um, the last one that I brought in, I think the freight was something like about $1,700, would you believe?
0: Jeez, that was that air freight? Air freight. Yeah, it's expensive. I just got a plane in from China and and I had an air freight and a sea freight quote and the air freight was yeah double the sea freight. The sea freight actually was pretty reasonable. Shipping time, actually, I was pretty—I wasn't in a rush, so I didn't care if it took mm-hmm. a bit of time. But uh, I think it was probably a two to three week turnaround on the shipping. But um, yeah. But yeah, I was a bit surprised. I thought it was going to be a bit longer than that. But um, yeah. Shipping these big models around, big crates and things like that, just ends up costing a bit. But um, and at the exchange rate for you know people living in Australia, the exchange rate's not really helping us out at the moment either.
1: No, it's not. With a lot of sort the industry
0: of. running on US dollars, so... Yeah. But, you know, yeah. still people still buying models, though, aren't they?
1: Oh, look, there, there is, but, um, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. I mean, we've always had a, an Australian dollar that's been lower than other currencies. I think, I think it was only... I can only remember one time when we were... I think we were above parity. Yeah, that was...
0: About 2013, around that time frame, I was bringing in yep. models from uh, the 3D hobby shop models, and uh, yeah, it was a lot. When I was doing all the calculations, it was like 98 cents to the US dollar kind of thing, and so I was pretty close. So uh, a lot better now, you know. Like we're paying f- f- probably yeah close to 40% more just to exactly. get the product landed, plus the increase in the shipping costs. Um, you know, it doesn't help. Now, I want to ask you about the um the contra rotating props because it seems like there's a big shift to them in in that pattern um, scene. You know what's happening in that space. You know uh, is that true that a lot of people are moving to the contra?
1: Um, there seems C- the Australian F three A pilot seems to have a bit of a love affair with contra rotating systems. Is it
0: a copycat um, thing or is it you know some merit in it?
1: Ah, uh, I don't know because, like, I I, I used to fly contra. Um, the first allure, which is one of Brian Hebert's designs, um, the first allure that I built was um, was a contra design, and that was a, a an American designed contra. Uh, the Brenner Brenner V three I had in there and then subsequent to the allure brian brought out the alchemy and i built one of those with one of ralph Schweizer's contras which used um it was a was also a planetary gearbox um but it was more based around the hacker c50 c54 type of planetary gearbox um, and then subsequent to that, uh, I built a biplane and a lure bike, one of Brian Hebert's designs again. Um, you can probably see a bit of a trend here. <laughs> that's what, one of the reasons why I say it's so, it's so important to have a, a good design that's been um, well thought out, well designed, well trimmed. Um, Because that's one of the big things with pattern is the trimming. And you learn so much. And uh, Brian Hebert has has taught me so much. Um, being, Being mode two and most of the precision aerobatics community being mode one meant that I couldn't hand the transmitter to someone and say, oh, what do you think? You know, so a lot of all that trimming I've had to figure out um, for myself with with Brian Hebert's help. Glenn Orchard flies mode too. He does, but he you know, you know, he's gone to Jets now. Oh. Well I don't like that-
0: I don't like mentioning his name because he's rejected to come on this podcast so many times. It's and he has told me I am gonna come Andrew. I'm going, Well I'll save I'll save a, a, a big date for you. So
1: well, what what I was gonna say is that um all, all good F three A pilots when they retire they go to jets.
0: <laughs> yes, so,
1: so that's where where um, where um, uh, Glenn Glen has gone.
0: Well, I, you know what I I I can see um, when I go to a jet event I can see the pattern pilots because they're always yes. flying straight lines like they and they land really well and they're always doing some aer- aerobatic maneuvers, but they they you could just tell it's just straight and level, straight and level with them, you know. And then they'll, yep. they'll do a four point roll and they'll nail it, kind of thing. And uh, so I, often I've got up to people and I've said, You fly Patton, you've flown Patton, haven't you? And they go, Yeah, yeah, how can, you, how can you tell? I said, But you're flying, I can see it. <laughs> so, yeah, so Gleno's uh, Gleno's now jet guy, but you know, he's enjoying it. Actually, yeah, I've seen him because uh, he, he flies at the same club as me, I know him well, and I and he'll fly. I've seen him come to the field with some clunker of planes. Like he's gone from these pristine pattern models to these clunkers of planes. That's what I need to get him on. There was so much to talk to, talk to him about. But uh, anyway, I'll try him again. He's in a good mood at the moment, so I might ask him again. Okay, so <laughs> back to the, back to the contra stories, right? So, okay, what's the benefit of them? You know, is it the talk effect or the minimization of the talk effect or extra drag or
1: what? Well, it's the it's the constant speed. So that's what um people people's i've got to be care i'm trying to trying to be careful what i say here so i can get it right um what we're trying to achieve in aerobatics is a constant speed whether you're going vertically up vertically down horizontally across diagonally across or diagonally down you're trying to have it have the same speed, no matter which direction the model's going in. Now, with a contra, you've got two props. So, uh, in a downline, line, uh, the propeller, as long as it's still spinning, is acting as a as a brake. So it's like a spinning disc. If the propeller stops, then you've no longer got that spinning disc helping to slow the model down. So with a Contra propeller, you've actually got two propellers spinning and slowing you down, okay? One of the things when Contras first came out, um, which I believe the Brenner V3, which is the one that I started with, um, I believe that was the first Contra system that came out the airframes weren't designed to suit the Contra system. And if you go back and look at full size uh, Contra rotating aircraft and have a look at the tails, they've all got vertical um, vertical fins out on the stabs and they're all trying to correct a problem with your stability. So Basically what was happening was around neutral um, it got very sensitive. So people were trying to um, put a delay in the on the rudder servo and high expo and try and try and alleviate this this sensitivity around neutral. Um, and as it turns out, it's it it was more to do with the actual design of the fin and rudder than any other widgets that you could put on the model. And most most of the current designs have sort of got to the point now where where that your stability is no longer an issue.
0: Yeah, see, that's, that's
1: interesting. I was
0: literally today, was talking to a friend who maidened his 100cc black horse Fock Wolf. And he said it was great. He said it flew really, really nicely, you know, um, The only problem he had is when the wheels would touch down, the plane would veer to the left. Every single landing, he did four landings, and every single time he'd get on the ground and the plane would veer to the left. So we started looking at the rudder. I said, how big's the rudder? And he goes, it's not that big. So basically he was losing rudder authority when it's just on its main wheels, you know, trying to slow down kind of thing. He'd want to veer off. So to me, this... I said to him, "Are the wheels both wheels running freely on the on the mains?" And he said, "Yeah, no problem with that." I said, "Could it be a thrust line issue? You know, does he have to move the thrust?" But then we started look at the tail and saying, "You know, is it just something in the airframe. There's inherent in the airframe." So I don't know. You might have a better better answer than I do. But uh...
1: yeah, while well, my first thought was a tight 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 wheel or something like that
0: Yeah, that's what i thought like one's acting as a brake or something and he said no they're both exactly the same a
1: little bit odd unless he's got a funny you got to be careful sometimes if you've copied a copied a um program from another model um, that usually copies mixes over as well so you've got to be careful you haven't copied a, a mix over it was all right in the
0: air, he said, but uh, look, he's head of the peanut gallery, the flat-out RC peanut gallery, so <laughs> m- maybe he's maybe he's uh, leaning on the rudder or something the wrong way <laughs> or something, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. he'll sort it out at some point in time.
1: So anyway, getting back to the Contra thing, um, so I, I eventually went down the path of a biplane and I was concerned with weight, like with biplanes, particularly big biplanes, weight is always something that you've got to take into consideration. So I decided very early on that I was going to um, go away from Contra and use a single propeller again. And at first I was using a, um, an Adverun single and it was a it was a prototype that I had, and there was various issues with it, and I like with vibration at certain RPM. And uh, so I did a lot of learning during that process and, and getting that drive to run properly. Um, and after I went through that process, I decided well what the hell, I've got the equipment, I'm going to try and build my own drive and build it the way it should be built so that it works properly. Um, so I did. And that's where that's where the Precision F3A drive came from. So, And I've been using that um, ever since. And I can't honestly say that I missed the Contra.
0: Why are we seeing these sort of belt-driven motors in, in pattern?
1: Okay, the big, the big advantage with the belt or a gear reduction is the increased torque that you get. Okay, um, plus as well, you can, use a, you can use a slightly smaller motor than what you would normally use, and that's why most of the drive systems on the market today are using helicopter motors. And they're generally a little bit smaller, like the, the motor will spin at a higher RPM, um, but, you know, it's well well within its ratings. So the drives these days are putting out um, three and a half kilowatts without any problems at all. So that's a hell of a lot of power.
0: Is it also a noise thing? Are they quieter as well? Or
1: um, Look, def- the belt drive is definitely quieter than, a, than a, the equivalent gear drive. That's for sure. Um the they'll the certainly be quieter than a than a contra drive because a lot of noise that's generated is is by the prop itself. So yeah, if you've got two props spinning, um you you can potentially get more noise from it. Um, a contra drive doesn't spin as high an RPM as a single blade or a three-blade prop. So that, that helps a little bit with the noise there. Um if yeah, the other the other thing with a with a contra, um if you have a little bit of a landing misdemeanor, oh, yeah. um, nine times out of ten you'll break both props, not just one. So yeah, there's a there's a cost. Cost penalty there. And, and yeah, it doesn't matter how good a pilot you are. I mean, if, if the wind conditions are um, perfect for a difficult landing, um, then, you know, even the best of us can break props, have a have a prop strike.
0: That is true. We're all not immune to crashes. I've had a fair few of my own. Yeah. Including my Sebart pattern model that I collected the uh, top wire of a wire fence coming into land.
1: Oh yes, they they they, 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 just, they, they jump they out jump at you, grab your undercarriage.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was—it was a beautiful break. It just ran right underneath the cow, and—and it, and it stopped at the undercarriage. <laughs> so it's basically you imagine just flying through this wire, hit the undercarriage, plane flops to the ground, and actually a friend of mine fixed it, which was yeah, and yeah. It flew beautifully, and then I sold it. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs>
1: that reminds me of a, f- a funny thing um a uh, number of years ago I, I built a couple of models for um, uh, michael hobson yeah uh, he's queen, now right? the NBA president
0: vice president uh,
1: vice president sorry um and uh, two alumni. one had a plettenberg advance in it which is just a, a conventional direct drive in runner and the other one he put an ad- Adverun, he wanted an Adverun's Contra in it. And I don't know which one it was, but one of them, he was flying at Lark's, I believe, up there in Brisbane. And he sends me a photo. And and one of the things that um, Michael insisted on when I was building these models for him was that I reinforce the undercarriage area. So I cut up some one-mil carbon plate and put that, glued them in top and bottom into the undercarriage area and some carbon fibre cloth around the plywood to strengthen that up. Anyway, he sends me a photo and literally the whole front of the model from the undercarriage forward was gone, completely gone. There's mud all over everything, but the model's still standing up on its three wheels and and he says the undercarriage upgrades holding up well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, I thought, oh, that's priceless.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's good. See, that worked.
1: Just- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything good- else was gone, but the undercarriage <laughs> was <laughs> yeah. Well, you there. know, you just have
0: to reassemble the front. You can you can fix that. You got a 3D printer.
1: Oh well I think I, I think what we did i think i got another fuse in for him and we we fitted that out but.
0: and and so that that's that's, a, that's another service you can provide under carriage reinforcement
1: Well, yeah well that's one of the products that i do
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I that see i always say that we need people like yourselves in the hobby because you're keeping the dream alive for people by creating the products that you do all right and i know people take it for granted but if we don't have people like you, we don't have the choice and we don't have the option. And so I'm always a big supporter of those people that, that stick their neck out and go and fabricate things and build things so that people can go and enjoy their hobby. And that's what I've always always said. They're always welcome on my podcast because, uh, and especially with something sort of niche-y a bit like F3A as well. So I hope you're getting plenty of support around the, around the world for what you're doing to, uh, to keep it alive.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. Very, it's very much appreciated. Um, it's it's something uh, working with my hands. is what I what I enjoy designing stuff, um, testing stuff, and I love the trimming side of it. I love helping people with trimming problems. Um, so yeah, you know, I learned a hell of a lot from Brian Brian Hebert and. I really appreciate that, and where I can pass that on to to other people, I do. You know, if people are if people are willing to listen and and go through the process, I'm happy to teach them.
0: Well, that's the thing. I think, I think uh, it's the same with with a lot of other sort of competitive disciplines, whether it be gliding, IMAC, and and pattern, of course, is that it's an all-encompassing thing you have to pay attention to the detail and that's you know everything from your rudder to your prop you know <laughs> in the trimming of the model and so you've got to be in love with fixing things and finding better solutions and you know willing to 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 play around with your setup of your model to 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 improve it and and I think that's what you know, for for those people that are that way inclined, that keeps them in that that activity for quite a while. Like I was talking to um a guy by the name of Chris Rutter, who's involved in the IMAX scene, and he said, "I just love it. Oh, yeah. I just love turning up to an IMAX event and and learning more and getting better. And it, it's never there's never a dull moment. Yes, I, like I'll be honest and say, if you go to a pattern flying competition, it's not a spectator sport. If you're flying it's it. Not- if you're flying, it's, it's like IMAC. I've gone to IMAC events to try to film a video and you can't film the planes they're that far away. They're dots in the sky. Um, yeah. but, uh And the same with sort of pattern, my mate, good mate, Paul Marlin, I've, I've sat next to yeah. him, called for him whilst he was practising once and I was just nodding off in the middle of it and <laughs> scared I was going to miss the manoeuvre. But the skill, you, you mentioned the word Formula One. Paul Marlin actually said to me, he goes, F- uh, F3A is the Formula One of aero modelling. Uh, he said iMac is V8 supercars, but F1 is, is you know, is, is Patton. And the dedication the commitment you need to have to all facets of it is really what is required. So it's um for anybody who wants to get involved uh, and, you know, you want to challenge and you want to go on a, an, a, an amazing journey and have a bit of fun along the way, get involved with Patton Flying.
1: Oh, definitely. definitely.
0: Talking about practice and stuff like that, I want to ask you your thoughts on the new system that I think has been – Developed in Australia, which is this flight coach system, which is basically a, a a it's a device you put in your plane, isn't it?
1: It is. Um, it's it's been developed by. Uh, well, this, this let me so the I think the guy that's leading the project um is is over in Britain, and uh, his name's Thomas David. You've got the likes of Arthur. And Russell down in Victoria that are involved with it. And also um, in New Zealand, you've got um, uh, Andrew over there in Christchurch. His surname's just gone out of my head for the minute. (laughs) Um, Palmer, Andrew Palmer, that's it. So those guys uh, have developed the system and basically what it does they call it flight coach and it's used as a as a training aid and it's a little uh, so there's a little uh well actually from drones so it's it's a flight controller and a gps compass um and you place that in your model and you do it fly schedule And then you can download a a log file from that flight and upload that file to the Flight Coach website, which is um, flightcoach.org, if if you want to have a look. And they've got a plotter on there. So you load that um, file into the plotter. And it displays your flight graphically, and so from that you can see if your vertical lines are vertical or not, if your loops are round or big eggs. Um, so basically, you can see all the all the errors that you're you're doing in your flight. So you may not be centering your rolls. So it shows it, it. actually shows the attitude of the model, so you can see where the rolls are. Um, the positioning, positioning of the rolls, um, all the lines and loops. So, yeah, it's basically a, a plot of your flight. And recently, in the last few days, they've um, released a, a new thing where um, they're trying to take the judge out of, out of flying. Oh. So I don't know. I don't know how far that will go, but um, it's certainly the next step for this technology.
0: This is this is the thing I was going to ask you next. That okay, firstly people that have purchased the system and using the system, are they seeing benefit in it or, you know, the world's gone down this path of data collection, you know, like yep. uh, I've a, a system called Strava. If I go for a bike ride, I track my ride and it tells me how fast I went, my fastest speed, my average moving time, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, right? Yep. And it's great. And you look at the data and you go, great. And so what kind of thing? Is it a bit of a and so what kind of uh, approach nope. or are people seeing benefit from it?
1: No, people are definitely seeing benefit from it. Um, I had a recently, like I've been shipping these things all around the world and recently received an email from one of my customers in America. He flies both uh, IMAC and um, F3A. And he he said to me that um, he, he just recently, you know, with the flight coach system, he was able to identify a few problems in his flying, and I think he was flying. I think he's flying. I don't know. If he said it was intermediate. He did say the class he was flying in IMAC, but um, anyway, he went. He he could see where he where he had some problems. He put in work to correct that. Went to a competition and cleaned up, and he put it down to being able to identify where his problems were and uh, he's looking forward to actually applying that same methodology to his F3A flying so you know so it's 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 like the um the old adage it's hard to break bad habits um, so i guess if you can see if, if you can see on the screen an error or a problem um, the next hardest part is going to be to fix that, you know, and, that, and that's one thing that can be quite difficult in pattern. Um, but it's important that you do recognise that there's a problem and put in the hard yards to try and correct it. Um, what
0: are people's thoughts about using it as a judging mechanism?
1: Um well, look, it's still early days with that. I don't think it's, I think people have, well, the first thing, when I first saw the system, I thought, well, the next thing would be to have it so that, like, I'm from an electronics background and, and you know, we, we used to um, use what they called masks on oscilloscopes and that sort of thing, like acceptance masks, and, I can I can imagine um, someone doing a flight, and then the the log files extracted from the model and plugged into the system, and then the system has got masks that looks at all the manoeuvres and and applies a score, an appropriate score based on what it's seeing. Um, people judging human judging people always will have a bit of a gripe about it. Um, in here in Australia, we we all judge us our, judge ourselves. Um, we don't have any paid judges to come in and, and judge us. But there's always that thinking that, oh, I've been hard done by by that judge or whatever. Um, from a APA perspective, when we're looking at the scores. Being issued around the country. Um, or given around the country, we can see that there's variation, um, and our promotion systems based on that those scores. And if you've got a, if you've got a Santa Claus judging system in in one state, well, that sort of skews the promotion system. So some people would be looking at if there's an automated system that can eliminate that judging variation then that would be a good thing Um,
0: yeah i think that's one of the biggest challenges with with aerobatic competition is is the judging and the concept that the the competitors are judging each other often in different categories but most of the competitors I don't think are trained enough to effectively be able to be consistently judging across the board. And, and we see, you know, guys in IMAC were telling me, you know, like, like you were saying, different States are judging at different levels.
1: They are. Look, we we put in a lot of effort to, to try and educate people. Um, if you look on, um, the APA, uh, website, we've actually got, uh, judging exams on there, and that's something that uh, Russell Edwards has has championed. And um, we've created quizzes for, uh, I think we've got one there, for, well, definitely got one for New Zealand, I think we've got one for South Africa, um, and I think we've got one for the UK there. So other countries have, have asked us to set up exams On our website for them and and we're happy to do that and it's like an open book exam so you can have all all our rules are based on on the sporting code and um so it's an open book exam so it gets people reading it reading the sporting code and understanding the rules and and you get you do the exam and you get instant feedback once you've completed it tells you which answers you got wrong um and what the correct answer was and that sort of thing. Um, So but even with that, it's an ongoing thing. We've still got judging variation around the country. But I will say that even though the actual scores are higher or lower between the different states, at the end of the day, the right people are, are getting the places that they should be getting so yeah, first
0: that is 100 percent true you know, I, i've judged some aerobatic competitions in china and, and you know freestyle aerobatics and the people that won no matter how we were judging we're going to win yes you know there was a, there was a stark difference between you know the top sort of top three from the rest in a kind of way most of the time so and and it was funny because the that was a bit more casual style of judging. And there were three of us and we all judged at different levels. So, yep. so some were a bit more lenient than others. Like, you know, some would be giving them a, a one out of 10 and I'd be like, oh, that was for four. But the main thing we said to each other is just stay consistent with your judging. Don't don't waver from it. If, you know, if you judge something a one, then be willing to give somebody else a one if they do the same thing. So, and exactly, yeah, the yeah. cream rose to the top.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I think that's that's the most important thing to to not lose sight of, and and like we at AAPA level, we're we're looking at the promotion system. We're likely to um, amend it to in some way to try and minimise that judging impact uh, between the states.
0: I wonder in, in a serious competition if everybody had the, the, the flight uh, coach system that if there was a, a protest about a ju- judging rule that they could pull the data up and say okay well let's go and have a look at the data uh,
1: yeah yep yeah. yep yeah, for sure because um, you know like it's the, the flight coach has the potential to give really true judging because, um, positioning of roles on lines, like they have to be centered and, you know, whereas a judge might slightly miss slightly misinterpret where the center was on the line. And whereas the computer system, it's, it's looking at the raw data. It's going to know whether it was, where it was positioned.
0: Yeah, There's no
1: question about it. So, I don't know. Look, there's still a long way to go.
0: But is it using yeah. is, it, is it using GPS, isn't
1: it? It is. Yes. Yeah. And and it's got a and it's got a compass in it as well, so yeah. it knows which direction. That's
0: for the only question is how accurate is the GPS level? Because it wouldn't have been down to centimeter level. Probably be a bit bigger, maybe. But anyway, oh. that might not make much of a difference in the whole scheme of it. Anyway.
1: No, I wouldn't think so. No, not when you, you look at the, the height of some of the manoeuvres that we're doing. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's, it's, I always say that, um, you know, you mark my words. The future of aerobatic competition will be won and lost on a computer. We're going to have automated systems and we're going to sit there and people are going to program a sequence into their, into their plane. They're going to put it on the runway. They're going to press the enter key and the plane will take off and fly the sequence and now you'll be judged on your programming ability. You know, oh yeah imagine that look, <laughs> all we need to do now is go and program that flight coach to tell the plane what to do and we're going to be it'd be mode zero you won't have to do anything
1: <laughs> yeah look i hope it doesn't get to that well it yeah. will take the yeah. fun
0: out of it but you know, yeah
1: there'll
0: be some yeah. university look, that runs some challenge like that
1: yeah look it's 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 yeah that's possible but you know, we're not allowed to use the receivers with gyros in them and that sort of thing. It's, it's um, you know, and the rules are pretty clear on um, what we can and can't use with regards to feedback and that sort of thing. So um, any telemetry has just got to be with respect to safety. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty clear cut there. I think this flight coach, the flight coach thing is is I think it's really good for the hobby. Um, it's not just in in F3A, you know. People people are using it in scale as well, because there's obviously um, scale as a flying component as well. So um, if you can improve your flight scores, that's got to be beneficial. That's true. That's very true.
0: Well it's uh you know we are talking about the formula 1 of the skies and so there is a lot of technology going into into that and that can flow onto other areas as well so it's uh it's been interesting I've had I've had other people you know, I've had the Russell Edwards of the world and Paul Marl and a few other people that have really been involved in that pattern scene so talking about pattern and I just want to tell people if if you want to get involved with pattern flying uh, visit f3a.com.au every state in Australia they're flying pattern they Except
1: um, the Northern North territory.
0: territory, yeah, not many pilots. Up it must there. be
1: too hot up there.
0: Yeah, that's right. We'll put it down to that. Um, smaller numbers, you know, smaller sort of smaller small towns, so not as many people flying up there. But um, yeah, the heat would get to me. I don't know how they do it, how they fly up there. I've spoken to, I've had people on that fly up there. And I just got to know how you do it in the heat. But um, yeah. but yeah, you jump onto f3a.com.au. Uh, there's a whole bunch of information on there, and there's also uh, state. Um, state associations, isn't there?
1: There is, yes. So um, uh, we've got New South Wales Patent Flyers, they've got their own website. Um, the Victorian Precision Aerobatics Association, they've got a, a website as well. Um, Tasmania has got a, an association. I'm not sure if they've got a website, but um, there's contact information. There'll be contact information on, on the APA website, um, the West Australians they, they they've got an association over there. Uh, South Australia has as well, and also Queensland. Um, ACT used to, but not not so much these days. Um, but the guys the guys in the ACT they they participate in mainly in Victoria and New South Wales and. Um, one of the one of the guys, Phil Spence, which I'm sure you know, had um, Phil
0: on the podcast.
1: Yeah, there you go. So I have he, all the big
0: names, Jason. You know, we get all the big <laughs> names in the scene here. <laughs> um,
1: but you haven't had Gleno yet.
0: That's his fault. He's been invited <laughs> five million times, but he, he no, he pulled me aside and said, "I am going to come on." Well, so I'm holding fair. into that. Now, what we need, I just next time you, you see him or something, just put some pressure on and say here you haven't been on the Flat RC podcast. Andrew's a great bloke. You should come on.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll have to put the hard He's, words on You it. know
0: what he says to me? He says, what am I going to say? I've gone, Glenno, you, your father owned a hobby shop, right? So there's the start of it. You, you've been to the World Champs numerous times. You're one of Australia's best yep. pattern pilots, right? You've had countless different models and you own countless different models. We'd be going for hours. I might do a part one and part two like I did with Cliff McIver. Because I knew Cliff would talk a fair bit.
1: Yeah, He had a yeah. lot
0: of lot of ground to cover. Oh, Cliff, he's a good pattern guy as well. So um. So yes, yeah, so there's, there's plenty of avenues to get involved, and if you're that way inclined, you want to improve your flying. As Jason said, pattern is a good way to go. A bit of a plug for pattern. I am a fan of aerobatics. So I am a fan of pattern, IMAC, that kind of stuff, and also scale too, because you know, like you get someone like a David Law that's flying an aerobatic plane, and he has to fly it precisely as well. And I think he's he's dabbled yep. in pattern as well. Uh, um over the years but um so all is well and good and of course the world champs are coming up in 2023 which we'll, we'll keep an eye out for as well i'll probably get uh aaron garl on before that to see how things are progressing with that with his plans for that uh that event so that brings us to the end and the question that uh, everybody uh can't wait to hear the answer to it's an important yeah. question jason and that question is what has been your favorite model
1: my favorite. I'm model. talking about a
0: plane too. I'm not talking about Elle McPherson or anybody like that. Oh. I'm talking about a model plane. Okay. Yeah, I
1: haven't seen her on TV for a long time. No, nah, she, she, she
0: still looks good, though. She's Google her, so she's doing well. She's got good genetics. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite model. Oh, geez, you know, you know, I'm I'm pretty hard pressed to go past uh, the Alchemy Pro. And that's that's I know I keep harping on about it. It's one of Brian Hebert's designs. Oh, but
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. He paid like, you to say all this, didn't he?
1: No, not at all, not at all. And look, if you yeah, you you've had a yak to Phil Spence. He'd say the same thing. You know, it's it's the best model that he's ever had. And and I I agree. You know, it's just a, it's just an honest design. It flies really well, whether it be. Contra or a single prop, um, it responds well to, um, trimming changes. It's got adjustable wing incidents and independently adjustable stab incidents. Um, it's just a good, just a good all round honest model. Has Norm Morris got one? No, he hasn't. Oh, you need to word him up. No, Norm's got a Norm's got a thing with biplanes.
0: Ah, oh, Storm and Norman.
1: I think he I think he must think that uh well if one wins good, two must be better. <laughs> <But> maybe <laughs> that maybe that's the, the mentality with contras. If one prop's good, two's gotta be better. I'll,
0: I'll have a chat with him next time I see him down at the field. I say Norm. <laughs> I, I I do like a monoplane, though. I think my preference if I had a pattern plane would be a monoplane. Oh no, I just like the look of them a bit be better. The the biplane it's just an extra set of wings you've got to put on and that takes more time and I'm lazy. So I'll stick to the mono.
1: Yeah. Look, it is an extra set of wings you've got to put on, but it also adds another level of complexity to the trimming. Yeah. Right. That'd because be uh, everything has to be spot on. And, and it, here's, here's a bit of, here's a bit of insight for you. Um, in any pattern model, 90 percent of all trim issues are in the stabs
0: what what talking about wing incidents out things like that no apart the from the wing incidents, the stab, stabs, stabs, so I mean.
1: if you think of if you think of a an arrow so an arrow you've got the the lead weight at the front which which is gives you your basically um allows the the arrow to follow a direction like your center of gravity it's going to go straight forward and you've got your tail feathers down the back if you've got twisted tail feathers what's the arrow going to do
0: a twist not going to go straight
1: that's right so it'll, it'll induce roll um can have all sorts of effects
0: But. Actually, I was talking to that the iMac Nationals were on uh, a couple of weekends ago, but uh, as this recording comes out, but they a friend of mine was saying how brand new model, first first event with it, um, didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of didn't have a lot of practice time. Literally, had nothing really on the model, and he said that I was just holding aileron to make the thing fly straight, and we all went, oh, something's out, you know. Anyway, it turns out one of his one of his stabs is the incidence is totally wrong, and he had to have he had seven seven degrees of aileron on one side to try to get the thing to to fly straight. And uh, yep, and he went and put an incident meter on the on the stabs, and there was one was lower than the other, or a degree or something out, or something like that. and That was causing it to do that. So hopefully, he's going to adjust that and fixes it. But um,
1: yeah. Well it was interesting, you mentioned a name earlier, Chris Chris um Chris Ritter.
0: Uh, Chris Rutter, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: um he lives he lives up at um oh what's the name of the place? They play banjo's out there. Near Tamworth near is. Yeah, yeah. Up in the Cor- up Cor- in the banjo land country.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, that's it. Corindai. Yeah.
0: He rings me from yeah. his tractor.
1: <laughs>
0: and I do impersonations of him.
1: Ooh, yeah, well, yeah it? Patty, I'm in my paddy. going up
0: and down. And when you, when we ring each other now and again, just say good day, and we just start, we just make noises. We just go. Ooh, and That's
1: it. <laughs> that's
0: that's our chat. But anyway, yeah. So you will say
1: Anyway, we um we regularly had pattern competitions over at Gunada. Um, this was this was on their old field. They recently lost lost the field and they've they've got a new field but anyway this is on the original field and Chris came over to one of those events and I can't remember what model he had but um he was I think he was flying in Sportsman yeah I'm not I can't remember now but you know the model was doing something strange and and I said to him look there's something not right there." And and I asked him, "Oh, how did you set up your elevators?" And he said, "Oh, just just by eye." And thought, right, I've got some tools in my toolbox. We'll put those on your on your elevators, and we'll see if your elevators are in alignment with each other. And I knew beforehand that they wouldn't be um, because of the way the model was flying and how he said he'd aligned it. So. Um, basically what these things are. they've, they've got a 3D printed um, magnet holder on one end of a carbon rod that's about a foot long and there's two of those. and the magnets use the magnets to hold the rods onto the inboard edge of the elevator and bring them bring the points of the carbon behind the rudder. And straight away, with with the elevators at neutral, you can see that one carbon rods up and the other ones down, you know, so straight away, that's inducing roll into the into the model. And he will have had aileron trim in in the opposite direction to counteract that, which gets back to what you were saying before with the iMac friend with um, the aileron trim required well i was
0: going to say i thought chris rudder's problem would have been he probably drank too much
1: no no His inputs were all
0: over the place
1: (laughs) no he was quite well behaved i forgot
0: it was it was not it wasn't an imac event
1: no no that's a
0: different story yeah no
1: but that he he went away from that oh wow so i'm sure he he's he's learned something from that and he, he probably when he sets up a model now, he's probably one of the things that he. Looks well, at. he's
0: now progressed to I think the top level of uh, of, of IMAC flying. But he, he, he missed the nationals. I know that. I have to ring him up. I think he had he had a wedding or something to go to. It was a clash of dates, so he couldn't make it. But anyway, yeah. And he's yeah. into RC car racing as well. Oh, and um, playing games on computers. <laughs> <is his> latest. <laughs> I can't keep up with him. Anyway, he's a good mate. And I, uh, love having a chat with Ruttner. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure to have a chat with you uh, and to find out more about what you've been doing with the pattern scene and the, the upcoming World Champs. Good luck with that in 2023. They're just around the corner. Do, do you know the dates of the um, 2023 uh, event, the World Champs at Casino?
1: Yeah, it'd be a worry if I didn't. <laughs> it's, the, it's the 19th to the 26th of August
0: okay 19th to the 26th of August right in the middle of winter but it's up north so things should be okay so pencil that into the diary for you know for anybody that's an avid aero modeler wants to see some uh, the world's best pattern pilots head down to casino and uh, and if you want to lend a helping hand get in touch with the f3 3 uh, was it or dot au yeah, it .com.au, .com.au yeah. that's the one get in, get uh just contact them and I'm sure that uh, you, the any helping hands would be appreciated
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely so. Definitely so.
0: Well, thanks, Jason. All the best with it.
1: Thank you very much, Andrews. great talking to you. About to leave. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away
0: to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. A big thank you to Jason Arnold for joining me uh, a really enjoyable chat and uh well done as i said in the interview it's great to have people like jason that that go out of their way to build things s- supply us with things that give us the opportunity to have some enjoyment i really appreciate all those people that take that punt to get involved in the industry side of our hobby uh, whether they be large or small uh, they're greatly appreciated we need them to keep our hobby vibrant so well done jason big thank you once again now don't forget this weekend all the best to all those people going to the Bansdale warbirds event uh it's gonna be a good one the forecast is looking really good so if you have the time get on down to the Bansdale club this weekend and i hope it goes well for everybody if you got a bit of a long weekend like we're gonna have down here get out there hopefully it's not too wet and to all those people that are fighting the floods Cleaning up. Well done. Keep up the good work. Keep the spirits up. Uh, just think about it. Once you've cleared the mess, life's back to normal with your son enjoying things again. But uh, lend a helping hand if you can. If someone is in need, go and help them. Anyway, be back next week with more.